I have met several visitors on the way uh, in uh, this morning, and I uh, want to welcome all you who are visiting today to Redeemer. Uh, what we have been doing uh, this fall is we have been looking at the life of Christ. We've been studying who He is. And uh, in fact, in the 16 years I've been here, this is the first time I've gone through a gospel. And so we're looking at the life of Christ. But what's interesting about the book of Mark and really all the gospels, and what's pretty, pretty amazing is that you have four gospels that tell us about who Christ is. So, so we have a lot, lot of manuscripts, thousands of manuscripts that date back to the first century that are very reliable about who he is. But we can't study Christ in kind of an indifferent way. I mean, the very fact that you're here today, God is sovereign in your being here because he wants there to be a response to the gospel. You, you just can't kind of dilly-dally about it. I mean, that's very clear. It's something we talk about every week here. And so the only thing that can respond to who Jesus Christ is is faith. Faith which is not in yourselves. Faith which is a gift of God, but the sign of saving faith are lies that are responding to Jesus Christ. That's just what the Bible teaches. Now the opposite of faith, right, is unbelief. And unbelief doesn't mean that you're not putting your faith in something. It just means you're not putting your faith in Christ. And what we're going to come to in our text today, and it's the only time this word is used in the book of Mark, and it's the word marvel. And our text tells us that if you who've been hearing the gospel are not responding in faith, Jesus Christ himself marvels. There's no real response. There's only listening, hearing, believing, walking in, walking out. But it has no real effect in our lives. Now this is also an important turn in the book because in the midst of continued opposition and the offense of the gospel, Jesus from his hometown where we'll see that he was uh, scandalous to them, he sends out his disciples to let them know that as the message goes forth in the extension of the gospel, that if they're offended at me, they'll be offended at you. And so that's what we have to look at today. And so as we come to our text, I want to ask everybody here, Christian, non-Christian, agnostic, atheist, believer, not sure if you're a believer, to look at the person of Christ and, and, and what he might marvel at, okay, in your life today, in my life today. So with that in mind, uh, the, the text is here written, written in the bulletin, and we write it every week because we believe it's the inerrant word of God. And it's relevant to all of us here, and everybody in the world for that matter. Mark 6, verses 1 through 13. And he went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? Uh, what is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? 
And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he can do no mighty work there. He could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, then you leave. Shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. And so they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick, and he healed them. Now this is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, in the moments that we have to gather uh, to hear your word uh, before the sacrament, we pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear. Uh, Lord, give me a tongue to speak this beyond just the flesh attached to a brain. Lord, we cannot hear apart from your spirit, but for your words are spiritually discerned. And Lord, we are deceived apart from your grace. We just cannot see. So Lord, would this be the day for some, maybe everyone here, some people here, that they would understand the faith that you give to embrace who Jesus Christ is and to rest in his finished work on our behalf. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Uh, you notice the title of the bulletin is uh, the phrase that when the going gets tough, and you see the dot, 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 right? Y'all know the end of that phrase. Uh, the tough get going. I think we saw that last night. Um, I was disappointed. I was a bit angry, but only for a little while. And, um, but one of the things that, that I was, it was great was the fact that, you know, you, you kind of have to say Alabama was a good football team, right? And, and the University of Georgia, I, did, I think they did finish the drill. They just came up about four yards short. But when the tough get going, they proved, the tough going got, going got tough, they proved that the tough get going, and they proved a toughness that was there. But here's the problem is that the purpose of their toughness uh, basically, ultimately, didn't get the job done, right? Because nobody will remember except who is the national champion. Well, if you look at the life of Christ, and, and, and we look at, at what we've seen in the, in the first five chapters, I think we would say that there's a toughness about him, that there is a determination about him. For from the very get-go, when he comes right out of the chute and he starts preaching that everybody in this room and everybody in the world needs to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, he begins to offend. It's offensive. The gospel is offensive. And so there is this resistance that is there. And what you start seeing is that there's resistance from all different kinds of people, from the elites, from the religious people. 
from people that disagreed with each other, the Sanhedrin uh, and the Pharisees, the secular Jews and the religious Jews, they couldn't stand each other, but together they agreed that they hated Jesus more. And there was opposition to him and to the gospel. Anytime it's rightly preached, anytime it's rightly lived out through a believer, there's always going to be kind of a pushback this there. Now here we come in chapter 6. And Jesus takes a detour. He's been in a populous area. But what we learn from our text, he goes to this city called Nazareth, which was about 25 miles off the beaten path. It was kind of podunk city. Uh, some archaeologists think they found the, the city of, of Nazareth that was in a kind of a hilly area. Um, but the, the original Nazareth. But uh, it, was a, it was a dump. It was, it was on the side, but it was the place that Jesus grew up. And it was probably five or 600 uh, to 1,000 people that were there. So he takes a side trip. He goes 25 miles, brings his disciples with him uh, down the pass and over the hills to Nazareth. Why? Because he comes to preach the gospel to those he grew up with. And what we discover in our text is that they oppose him too. They think his teaching uh, is, is scandalous. And so what we see from our text is that, that not only did the elites and, uh, uh, and the rich and the wealthy and the people who had prominence reject him, but he's also being rejected by his own people. So great and small, black or white, all cultures are offended at the person of Christ. In fact, I would say that if you've never kind of been offended by the person and work of Christ and the claims of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you're kind of just never gotten to the depths of your need for faith in Christ. But here's what we're going to see today is that in the midst of that opposition, you know what Jesus does? He keeps moving forward. Why? Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Well, that has everything to do with the way this world operates and the pride and the arrogance and the power of positive thinking. But the reason Jesus is motivated and keeps moving forward, though he is opposed, is because he is motivated by love for us. And by the necessity of the mission that his father set before him, which is to be crucified for sinners. So, but now he's going to invite his disciples in to begin to preach. And they're going to have to move out. And Jesus is going to demonstrate to them, and they're going to see, and he's going to pick up on this, that if they rejected you, if they oppose you, if they're offended at me, don't think they're not going to be offended at you. It's the nature of the gospel. So here's the, the three things I want us to see uh, before we come to the Lord's table. And I need to take about five minutes with each one of these points, which I know some of you are laughing. Like he'll spend 15 minutes on point one, and, which my uh, seminary professor said, that's an imbalanced sermon, but hey... Number one, there's always opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Always has been, always will be. You might be opposing it today. You might be a church member. You might be a baptized, reformed person. But you resist the gospel. 
And then uh, we'll see what is at the heart of the opposition. Why is, there, why is there such opposition to this wonderful man? And then finally, what are we to expect if we're faithful? The gospel begins to root in your life and begins to grip you because it's different than anything else. It's not law. It's not rule-keeping. It's grace. It work in a man or woman's life or a little boy or girl who begins to understand the gospel of Jesus. So the first thing to see is this, is that there's always opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Always has been, always will be. Now here's what's amazing about Jesus. And, the, and it's true to this very day. Is that Jesus, if you notice, is either attracting or alienating people. He comes and he preaches and there's always two responses. There's either an attraction or there's an alienation as you become confronted with who he is. Now maybe you've never really been confronted with who he is. Are you being confronted today? Uh, but if, if, if you begin to understand the nature and the reality of what the gospel is, uh, there is uh, either alienation or there's attraction. There's a movement toward Christ like, you're beautiful, you're amazing. I've never heard this gospel before. Nobody's ever loved like this. The just for the unjust. Or there is a sense where uh, there's a moving away because there's still these other agendas, these things that we put our faith in besides our need for a Savior. You understand that? Until you come to that point that you need a Savior, uh, you're going to probably be in that crowd that, be, that continues to move away and to be alienated. So we see this opposition, and now we see it among his people. Notice what he says in verses uh, 2 and following. If you'd look at your bulletin. So on the Sabbath day, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter's son, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters with us? And notice, it's amazing what it says, they took offense. Now the word in the Greek for offense here is the word scandalon, and it's a much stronger word than our word offense. We get offended sometimes. Well, that was a little bit offensive, like the Alabama people. I wish I didn't have anybody on Facebook from Alabama. That's, that's a little offensive, Okay. Uh, but there's, that, that's offensive. But the, the real word here for scandal is to deeply reject. There is a hostility. And so Jesus always offends. If you follow him, he offends, you'll offend. And basically what he's saying and the way he's setting this thing up is understand this. If you think they're scandalous toward, toward me and they're offended toward me, uh, they will be uh, offended for you, by, by you. Now, here's what's amazing. As I said earlier, that it's like every, every group is offended by Christ. It doesn't matter whether you're a liberal Democrat or you're a conservative Republican. It doesn't matter. Because conservative Republicans, they like to uh, look to their own, put their faith in themselves. Liberal Democrats like to put their faith in the government. But whatever, either one... <laughs> but, but either way that you, either way that you go about this uh, there is actually um, uh, an offense by those at the need 
for somebody to save them from their situation. And so everybody uh, is offended by the gospel in some way. Now let me tell you, I could give you all kind of examples of this because I have a lot of illustrations and not a lot of time, but I'll give you one. Give you just one example of this. When I came to Christ uh, my senior year in high school, uh, I used to go to a Bible study called Campaigners through Young Life. And I had a young life leader named Joel Patterson. Well, I was late getting to the Bible study or late leaving going to school. And so I'm flying down uh, East Washington Street, and I notice in the back of my, in my mirror is this blue light. <laughs> And uh, so, you know how sometimes you pull over and you hope they kind of keep going? And he didn't. And so, but no problem. He's an officer of the law. He's a good guy. And now I'm a Christian. And so I wasn't too worried about it. So when he comes over and, and, I, and I roll down the window and, and uh, he said, well, son, where are you in such a hurry? And I knew I was good. I said, I'm on my way to a Bible study. And it really made him mad. And I thought to myself, well, but wait a minute, I'm a nice guy now. I'm a Christian. Of course, I had a lot to learn about that. And, uh, but then I started, now as I look back on my life, as I look back as an adult, I'm 57 years old. You know what? Suppose he was a thoroughgoing church member, but he was having an affair at that moment. You know, that does go on. Or, or maybe his father was a preacher who ran off with a church secretary. And so the very fact that I'm sitting there saying uh, that I'm a Christian and is, is offensive to him because at some, le- at some level it has either not worked in his life or he's been moving away from it in the first place. And so there's always these responses uh, to the gospel. But, but why is it offensive? Why is it so offensive well, let me just give you two, uh, two real briefly, and then I'll come to the second point. Number one, it's, it's offensive, first off, intellectually to some of you who are here today. Maybe you're kind of wondering whether you ought to be a Christian. You're thinking about it. But the thing that bothers you so much uh, about Christianity uh, is that uh, it seems to be so narrow. Right? That you're saying, well, uh, well, you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God? And, of course, intellectually, that could be a problem with people. But it's certainly what the Bible teaches. It's what Jesus Christ taught. In fact, I would suggest to you this, this, that what is the point of the cross and God on the cross in the flesh if there's like many, many ways? I mean, intellectually, that doesn't make sense. If something's true or if you believe something like you don't believe the gospel, then intellectually, you have to reject that. Because you're choosing other options uh, that are there. Um, I don't watch the show Why Swap, okay? I do watch TV. And uh, Why Swap sounds a terrible show, but it's not as bad as it sounds, I think. But somebody sent me a YouTube, and kind of the show is the Mother Switch Houses. Have y'all seen that show? And so uh, uh, I saw this, uh, somebody sent me this YouTube, and this, this woman who went into this house uh, where they ate junk food all the time. And she was a health freak. And, uh, and so it was hilarious. This little boy who's about, you know, six years old and about 200 pounds. <laughs> this, mother, this, this mother comes in, the surrogate mother, for a week, and she starts throwing away this and that and the other and uh, so wanted him to eat 
lettuce and all those other things. I, I, I don't like that much myself either. But uh, so, so then she's going for the sausage in the refrigerator. And that, and that was it. They said, we're done. And, uh, and so she was trying to inform him that that was not healthy for her. And his response to her, it was, ma'am, that is not our reality in this house. You see, you see, the reason that many people resist is because the reality of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is God. And he's God in the flesh. The second Adam is very clear in the Bible. Because, you know what? If you put your faith in all these other things to save you, they won't save you from your sin. The wages of sin is death. Now you can say, well, I don't know if I believe that. I'm not sure if I believe that. Or you might be somebody here who says, yeah, I believe that. But again, there's, but you believing it is not leading to it being an offense to other people. And so that's the first thing. The, the other reason that is an is offense is because I think, and this is much more important, uh, is that at the heart of the gospel is complete grace. And it strikes out at our pride, doesn't it? Hey, we all live wanting to hear, boy, man, I'm proud of you. You're awesome. And so our whole lives are about performance and what we do. That heart of, hey, listen, let me tell you why I wanted to beat Alabama last night. Because of pride. Right? I don't want Nick Saban to win. I mean, I might have to pull for the Irish. That could be terrible, but. But right, it's just pride. This thing that we need people to tell us. And then all of a sudden you have this gospel that comes in here and it says, there is nothing you can do. That's why I'm here. Now let me tell you what's taught among evangelical people today. Not to mention our Cecil Douglas friends. But what's taught is, is this idea of what we call cooperative justification, that God does his part right. He's come, he's loved us, he's shown himself, and Jesus Christ has died on the cross. But, but at the same time, it's up to you to mingle grace with works. It's up to you in some way to meet God some place halfway by an act of your will or some whatever is out there that churches tell you you need to do. And yet the gospel of Jesus Christ is not cooperative. It's forensic, which means it's legal. It is what Christ had to do to gain an inheritance for us. And by the way, if you ever do get an inheritance, now how much did you work for? Nothing. Somebody had to die. And you know, it's very embarrassing and should be, that when somebody's worked really hard and they leave you money and it gets you out of the hole because you didn't work hard enough. But that's the gospel. And that is offensive. Well, the second thing to see from our text is this. Uh, There's always opposition to the gospel of Jesus. But I want us to see what is at the heart of the opposition. What's at the heart of this opposition? Now, again, I want you to look at the text. The, the text says that he, he uh, you know, they're, they're acknowledging who he is. And then in verse, but, but, but they took offense in verse 4 says, and Jesus said, you know, a prophet's not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, in his own household. 
And he could do no mighty work there except he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. Okay, so basically their unbelief keeps him from working. Not because he can't work apart from that, but for him to work would be even further hardness of heart. I mean, seriously. I mean, I want you to think about this. Think about the blessings that God has given you. The preaching of the word. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The great hymns. You ever sing these hymns on Sunday morning and you go, wow, I'm blown away by this. And yet, and yet it's not affecting your marriage. It's not affecting how you do your business. It's not affecting how you, how you pray or how you look at things. It's just not having the effect. And what does our text say? It says in verse 6, and he marveled. He marveled because of their unbelief. Jesus marveled one other time, but it was when there was a, there was a pagan who came to Jesus, a Roman centurion whose good friend was dying, or his son, I can't remember exactly. Friend, remember that story? And so he comes to Jesus. And as he begins to speak to Jesus and, and Jesus is willing to heal, he says, listen, you don't need to come back to me, with me. Just say the word. Just say the word and he'll be healed. And you know what it says? Jesus says about his faith? He marveled. Why? Because he's a human being, right? Did Jesus have to live by faith? Oh, yes, he did. As a human. To put his trust in God's word and everything that God's word would say that he would have to do. And he's submitting even unto death by faith. As the man, Jesus Christ. And so he marveled that here's a pagan who has very little information like the people of God. And yet he's responding. And yet here are the people of God. His own people right next to him. And they don't believe. And he marvels. Well. The question ends up being. What is unbelief? Why does, he, why, does he, why does he marvel at unbelief? Well, let me tell you what unbelief is in the fullest sense. Here, here's what it is. Rarely is it used for those who are over there who've never really heard about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? Have you ever wondered, what about those people who've never heard? Well, Romans 1 says they do have light. They do have revelation. And even you today, uh, you, have, you have the word of God written on your hearts. I mean, his law is written on your hearts. You're creating his image. But really, he's not striking out here. Ultimately, he's striking out at those who have the word. Those who are the very people of God. Those who go to RUF and hear Justin preach. Justin and I will go in that office right over there. That's his office. He's our RUF campus president. And, 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 and we enjoy talking about the, the grace of God in our lives. And who's understanding? Who's not responding to it? And so... Um, But you see, unbelief, our own unbelief keeps us from knowing all the benefits, all the blessings that are in Jesus Christ. Our benefits aren't doing church stuff. Our benefits aren't having quiet times. Our benefits are what Christ has accomplished and us putting our faith in him. I want to read, uh, y'all hear me uh, quote from Bishop Ryle. He talks about unbelief here. Now, Bishop Ryle was an Anglican. 
but he was an evangelical Anglican that lived about 100 years ago. He was at the time of Charles Spurgeon, late, late, uh, late 19th century. And I love reading him because I have a lot of my friends who are starting to trust more in the church than they are Christ. And here's a guy who is among people who are trusting in the sacraments, trusting in the, uh, in, in the church. And, and he was always going, no, 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 you need to trust in Christ. But notice what he says about unbelief. And I want you to think about this for a moment. He says, unbelief, we are taught everywhere in the New Testament, is the grand reason why multitudes of professing Christians, men and women, in every age are not saved. Now, can you imagine an Anglican using that language? We're used to it among evangelicals, but here's an Anglican who says, goes on to further and says, and they, are, they die unprepared to meet God. This unbelief bars the way to heaven and makes God's glorious promises of mercy useless and unavailable. The true cause of eternal ruin is contained in those solemn words which our master spoke before the Jewish Sanhedrin, you would, will not come unto me that you might have life. He offers life. Matter of fact, he offers it to you this morning. Let me tell you, if you see your sin in your own unbelief, you know the sin of unbelief can be paid for. But he beckons us to come. And we wait. And we go, well, I'm not really sure about all this yet. And so he goes on to say this. But the saddest fact remains behind that unbelief is one of the commonest spiritual diseases in these days. It meets us at every turn and in every company like the Egyptian plague of frogs. It makes its way into every family and home and there seems no keeping it out. Among the high and the low, the rich and the poor, in town and in country, in universities and manufacturing towns, in castles and cottages, you'll continually find some form of unbelief. It, even, it is even thought clever and intellectual and a mark of a thoughtful mind. Society seems leavened with it. And he that avows his belief of everything contained in the Bible must make up his mind in many companies to be smiled and contemptuously and thought of as ignorant and weak man. True then. But you see, true faith, true saving faith doesn't see Christ as scandalous. It gets beyond that to where you go, oh, I understand. I understand. I need somebody to substitute for me. That all my righteousness and everything that I do, and I've been at Redeemer. Okay, I'm getting the gospel, but man, I haven't been doing X, Y, and Z, da, 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 da. And you begin to look at those things rather than what we say every Sunday is to look to Christ because He alone can save you. He alone can restore your marriage. He alone can give you hope in the midst of despair. But if you look to yourself and you begin to see, well, how am I responding to the gospel? Now you're putting your faith in your faith and not faith in Jesus Christ. And there's a huge difference. Wow. Oh, well, I need to come to, to my, my last uh, point. Uh, and the last point I want us to see is this. Um, the, the heart opposes the gospel. But when you begin to believe into the gospel, uh, then you're sent out. And when you're sent out with the gospel... 
According to what Jesus said, again, if they opposed me, they'll oppose you. If you'll notice what he tells them, is he says, hey, listen, just get a pair of shoes, get a cloak, because just like I'm living by faith, I want you to learn to trust in me and not all the resources, because ultimately the gospel is about God's resource and what he does for us. And then he says, and when you go to a village, and they, there were like 200, 250 in that area, and you go, if they receive you, great, and if they don't receive you, you go outside that village, and it was a custom to take your shoes and shake the dust off. Is a sign of judgment. Because there is rejection of the message. But why is it that people would oppose us? And I want to close on this, because here's what I want you to think about. I ask this question Are you scandalous? Are, are people either attracted to you? Because of your life and the fact that there's something different from you, you're not a moralistic person. You're not a self-righteous person. You're not a person who sits out on the back porch and, and just hangs out with the guys and is, remains a skeptic. But you're actually the one that challenges skepticism. Um, you, you know, when Christ says, be the light of the world, he's not, he, doesn't give, he doesn't give any impurity. He, when he says, you're the light of the world, he gives it in the, the indicative. Why? Because when you're united to Christ, you're united to his life in his likeness, in his light. And you become soft. And it's offensive. Or it's very attractive. Somebody put it this way about the New Testament church, and, and, and I'll close on this. They said this, that the, that the New Testament church boomed because it had an exclusive message that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the church and the Savior of all men. But it had an inclusive behavior. That all can come. All can benefit. And so with that exclusive message and with the inclusive spirit of love and mercy toward other people and people, you're wanting people to know who Jesus Christ is, there was either a, a movement toward this gospel or there was persecution of the church. And they hung them out to dry. Are we scandalous? Why was Jesus scandalous? Let me tell you. And, and how can we do that? It's because he was willing to be rejected not only by his own people, but by his own Father. So that we might be included. And then we might grab his hand because he lost the Father's hand. And what motivates us is the love of God in Jesus Christ. What will help you overcome whatever the things are, you know, your unbelief, your pornography, your gossip, uh, your despair, and all these things. I'll tell you what it is. It is the love of Jesus and what he has done. And there's going to be either an attraction to that or there's going to be a repulsion of that. If nobody's ever responding to us, What's going on? Because he's the light of the world. And we ourselves are not to put our light under a bushel. But you know, here's the grace of God. We come to the Lord's table. Has anybody been the salt like they should be, even if you have saving faith? No. And so we have the communion that says, hey, listen, once again, come and receive me by faith 
and be strengthened to be salt and light. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we are so thankful uh, that what is marvelous and what true faith marvels at is that you died for sinners like us and that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. All who come to you, all who look to you as little children, nothing to bring except their sins, that you will embrace them, you'll covenant with them, you will marry them, and you'll never divorce them. I pray for some who are here this morning, if they've never put their faith in Christ, if they've put it in the Presbyterian church or the Catholic church, if they put it in the Anglican church or been a Baptist or been non-denominational, Lord, that they would put those things aside and put their faith in Christ who's risen. That the Son of Man was lifted up that whoever looks to Him shall have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We ask it in Your name. Amen.